Hi, and welcome back to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know you're busy, and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may likely be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We've recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-B-E-I-N-C dot com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have a special guest, Zane Raj, who is a visionary leader, business accelerator, and industry futurist. He combines innovation and creativity to create new business models for the future. In his new book, The Pyramid Puzzle, Igniting Transformation, and that's available Anywhere people can buy books, I would imagine. True, Rob? It is available anywhere people can buy books, but I would prefer they go to Amazon and do it because it's where it's a lot easier and it shows up sooner. Got it. Okay. I know that that part. Here, what kind of the premise of the pyramid puzzle is to help our listeners? I think the pyramid puzzle came about based on a fundamental insight as I work with clients, as I work with other companies, which basically said, If you really want to create transformation, if you really want to grow your business, if you really want to make an impact, the first thing you need to understand is that you are in a people business, right? Because a lot of companies go, I'm in the manufacturing business, right? I'm in the hospitality business. I'm in the transportation business. Heck no. We are all in the people business, right? And I think that's the approach that human-centered, principled approach is what I have used to drive to getting insights that have helped transform either struggling companies into growth or successful companies into exponential growth, right? And it came from this one simple idea, which is if every business is a people business and the fundamental principle that people use to align together, to rally together, and to move forward together is a simple concept called trust. (laughs) Interestingly, is the most overused word in life and in business, and is absolutely the least understood word in life and business, right? And so I think that was a construct that I've used over the past couple of decades. And it finally came about, right? In COVID, I was writing a couple of other books. I wrote a couple of business books. I realized that there's a lot of business books with a lot of principles. And you write books about things like trust and human principles. It becomes really hard to try and make it into a framework and make it approachable and easy to understand. And I got inspired because I read a lot of history. And when I read a history book, if you will, for a period, I always then go to Netflix or Prime to see if I can find a movie from that period. So I can at least be able to visualize and contextualize, see how different that is from my imagination. But then I also discovered a whole genre called historical fiction. My favorite author is a guy called Khan Igledon. He's written about Caesar. He's written about Genghis Khan. And I just said, you know what? As I started writing this, what if I wrote a book which was business fiction? So it's not fiction. It's actually a parable. It's a story. It's a narrative, whatever it is. But I wrote it. I created a cast of characters. I wrote it as a novel. And it's been, it was joyful. But what had been absolutely fun is just the kind of feedback I've gotten over the, we've only been launched six days, right? And we've been number one in all three categories on Amazon starting day two. Right. This morning, we made it to 77 on the Kindle store out of 12,833,000 books. 
right? But all of that is great. But what gave me the best joy was when, when one of the readers came to me and said, I've been struggling. I lead a large organization IT team. I've been struggling with my team and managing our stakeholders and getting everybody aligned to one team. And he goes, I read your book. I've sent this pieces to my team. And they're all excited about how they can build a trust relationship. And it became, and he goes, we're the IT organization. We're never treated as people. We're treated as IT guys and gals, right? And all of a sudden, we start thinking about we're human beings, trying to help other human beings. It just changed the dynamic. So trust has been something that I've proven over time is a foundational element to help build business. But that's why it led to a book. So why don't you define what you, since it's such an overused word, we always say that's the same thing, respect is an overused word. It doesn't actually mean anything unless you define it. So yeah. say yeah. With, share with us your definition of trust. What is trust? Absolutely. But Susan, may I, may I build on the point you made, right? Because, and I love the aspect of respect because any human relationship, and if you go back to my first book, I talked about how do you build a brand ritual, but it's all about building relationships. Any relationship has got three components, right? It's got a component called respect. It's got a component called loyalty. But the one word that bridges the two is trust. I have a very simple principle definition of trust. It is about set a clear expectation or make a very clear promise of what you can deliver and then meet that expectation or honor their promise consistently. It's a very simple definition. It's so hard to do, right? And you might say, so why is it so hard to do? Because very few businesses, so let's talk to the business first, right? Very few businesses set a clear expectation for any of their stakeholders. So here's the irony, right? But the smaller the business, the sharper and clearer the expectation that they create. As businesses get bigger, that starts getting fuzzier because what happens is to stop thinking about the people. And in a business, a lot of them think about employees, right? I'm sure as you do work with people, you're helping them build trust among teams, trust with management. They start thinking about employees, but there are customers who are human beings. There are suppliers who are human beings. There are stakeholders, investors, and owners who are human beings. And no business has the exact same set of expectations for any one of those constituents, right? And yeah. No, I was thinking about the customers, how your definition of trust really would, if customers know what they're going to get and they get it repeatedly and it's what they want, but it's meeting what they keep for success. And I can see even with stakeholders, hey, you guys are increasing your profits at this rate and I can trust it. And so I feel good about it. The only thing I'd say, and the and it may feed into your three-legged version of what's most important in relationship, but the thing that's missing for me is that I think it's great. Set expectations, meet the expectations, and continually do it. But I think a big part of just has to do when you're not going to meet the expectations and you have the conversation, because that's actually a huge trust builder when somebody says to me, I'm not going to do what I said, and here's why. We're going to need to talk about it. And that's... Yeah, no, so, so you're right. So I've written, at the, so the book's written within the context of how does a business that's struggling find another way of winning? Because traditionally, we're narrowing down to the human level, and I'll come back to addressing your comment, Susan, because I think it's absolutely right. But let me maybe just start in a slightly different place. Uh, so the book is a story about a very successful business 
that became a business of the business and lost its focus, right? And they were trying to turn that business around using the traditional ways people turn business around, bring in consultants and they talk about maybe we need to fix our pricing strategy. Maybe we need to change our channel strategy. Maybe we need to get operating efficiencies up. You do, companies do a lot of those things. And I think the thesis that I bring in about is if you start thinking about your business as a people business, and if you start thinking about simple aspect of expectations, what you realize is there are triggers on how people expect to be treated by any business. So what happens is, so let's think about your consumers, right? Your customer of the business. The customer of the business believes that they should be treated as the most important person, right? Because I'm the reason that's funding all the things that have happened. So I need to be treated as the person who you're giving me a promise of solving a problem in a way that's distinct from anybody else. And you have to be very clear what problem you're going to solve. When you're a supplier, right, you expect to be treated as a partner because as a partner, you're giving a business impact to become better, right? So if you're a supplier to Tesla and you're supplying batteries, right? Without my batteries, you can't deliver a car that's going to go 495 what, right? So you got to treat. Now what happens? 92% of the companies in the world don't have a supplier policy. They have a vendor policy. So if you think about your supplier expects to be a partner and you call him a vendor, it changes the dynamic. Your employees expect to be treated as assets to the business, but we, but the businesses treat them as an expense. <laughs> so now when you come down to it, those are the misalignments at cost. Now, when the misalignments happen and a problem happens, how you address a problem is a way of either building the trust or destroying it even more. I'll tell you a story about Peloton, right? Wonderful brand. 2020, it couldn't go to a gym. My wife goes, honey, we should get a Peloton. So at least we can work on at home. It's the hardest thing on the planet. Look, my brother-in-law, has been using it and they've lost weight and we're putting on me. I'm like, okay, $3,000, Peloton shows up, pay out two sets of clothes and shoes and everything else, sign up for a $65 a month subscription for all of those classes. Everything was great until six months ago. Six months ago, they sent out an email saying, we need to recall the poll on which to see because it's, it's been known to rape. So I go, oh, I should go check it out. Guess what? I had a crack in mine. I'm glad they told me because if I was out there doing something and it breaks, people have been injured in not a very pleasant way. So I go to the link, sign up for the part recall saying, please send it to me. One month goes, two months goes, three months goes, get nothing. So I call. Find no email, no response to my email, nothing. So I call. After a 90-minute wait, wow. I get to somebody, 90 minutes, I get to somebody, obviously, in a call center. And so I talk to them and I go, when can I get it? They go, we're in short supply. We love you as a customer but we're so backed up because there's so much demand for it. I'm like, of course, <laughs> you sold a lot of Pelotons. You need to, <laughs> how long does it take for you the guys to make a haul? Couldn't you have started that? Long story short, they go, it's going to be somewhere between 90 to 120 days before you get it. Okay. So I go, okay, so is there a way I can basically get a refund for the past six months and moving forward for my subscription? Sir, you can cancel your subscription at any minute and we'll only charge you until the end of that month and then you won't have to pay anymore. I said, okay, great. Now I was a little frustrated, 90-minute wait and then a 25-minute conversation didn't lead anywhere except 90 So I said, okay, but I'd still like to get a refund on my other subscription. I'll cancel and please cancel mine now. Let me come back to you. 12 minutes later, comes back and says, I'm sorry, sir, we can't do that. So we will have to talk to somebody at the company and we will get back to you. said, how long will it take before you get back to me? Because, oh, within 24 to 48 hours. Okay. 
This is day 12. Wow. I'll send back three more emails. Oh, wow. And I have had no response. This is Peloton. At one point in time, the brand we all trusted because it was a great experience. I was riding it every day. And it was fun because yeah, I'm not a big workout guy, right? So the entertainment of the classes and stuff like that. But think about this, right? These guys took so I've got a $3,000 piece of crap, excuse my French, that's sitting out there that gets me very angry when I walk on my elliptical going, I wish I was riding the bike. Yeah. So that's what I mean around. So they didn't fix it. The, the thing people think about is when somebody fails you, that you should apologize. Apologizing when you've broken somebody's trust is the worst thing you can ever do. Because why? Why? Because what you're doing is you're just validating the fact that you've broken the trust, but you haven't given them a reason to find a pathway back. So one of the things that I've learned is don't apologize. Start by saying, I understand that I've broken your trust. Here's how I believe and why I believe uh, it happened. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's specifically what I'm going to do. Apologies are used way too often because people don't actually acknowledge they made a mistake, which is what we would say needs to happen is you need to acknowledge that you did not live up to your expectations or something occurred that would obviously lead someone to be upset or feel like something had been broken. And that's, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and, and for the Peloton example, right, if they just had an expectation where they're saying, we're sorry, we're going to change this on every bike on the planet. It's going to take us four to six weeks or four to six months to do it. And oh, in the meantime, if you can't use it, you can still use your subscription and we'll send you a couple of dumbbells yeah. as a way to continue help. It's a whole different model. Right. Yeah. It just requires somebody sitting out there having empathy that there are people there. Yeah, that's not going to business problem. Yeah, treating yes. you like a human, that makes perfect sense. And so that's your, your question was how, when you break your trust, have the conversation. And I think you're saying acknowledge what's happened. And then also be clear about the next ex- expectation. Yeah. Whatever you got again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Or overpromise. Yeah. Just be clear. Yeah. That's now right. in an organization, what does the pursuit of trust look like in practical terms? I think the pursuit of, so let me tell you a story about it. It just happened. I was with a client. We, I'm, I'm not into, I'm not a, coach, right? I mean, I do some mentoring and coaching as part of my life, right? Just having gotten older, I guess, some wisdom, a little bit. But so we're on the the consulting business with insights and analytics, right? That drive transformation strategies for companies. So there is a point in time that we have to land up working with teams to align a lot of cross-functional teams with our clients to align behind a new platform, a new vision, a new mission, right? And so the first things that we tell people to do is first set very clear set of expectations for everybody, right? So what happens in teams, in companies, is different groups tend to have different expectations on what they're supposed to deliver. And nobody's truly aligned on those. But the easiest way to get a team together is by setting, it's called a crawl, walk, run, right? So this one company, they were struggling with kind of moving things forward. Six months into it, not a lot of things had moved. And so having spent a day and a half with them, I gave them four simple things I wanted them to start doing differently. One, everybody show up to the meeting on time. (laughs) Okay? Come on. When you set a meeting at 10 to 12, there's a clear expectation that 10 is the start of a meeting. But what was happening there, depending on the departments they came in and the titles, the junior most people came in three minutes earlier until the senior person came in 12 minutes later. 
And as I saw it happen across a few meetings, it actually was the corporate model of showing who's boss, right? Step one, you can do that, right? You got to, when you make a commitment, which is an an expectation or make a promise of 10, everybody show up in the meetings, right? It was fascinating for the day and a half that I spent when people started coming to the meeting, right? The second, there should be a clear thing. Okay, there can be items on the agenda to discuss, but there should be a clear expectation in that meeting of what everybody's going to leave at 12 with, right? Because there were meetings, lots of items on the agenda, lots of different things. I think the third thing, and, and I'm going in, in, in a least important, most important order. The third thing is understand from each of the people in the room on the conversation what they want to get out of it, right? And have them express it in one sentence, a six-word sentence, which can be a big story. And the fourth and the simple one was, last 15 minutes of the meeting, everybody on a, a sticky, write down, this is what I accomplished here. And, and then we had people share those follow-up session, which was over a couple of nice cocktails because we wanted we not to get... And it was fascinating how many of them had established their expectation and met their expectation meeting and they felt that was one of the best meetings that they had and they actually made progress that they hadn't made in a prior two months. Again, it's not magic, right? It's not magic. What happens is with people and companies, everybody gets the big things right. It's not the big things that actually build and break trust in a big way because we got most of them right. It's the small things, right? And this is where businesses and even people fail. I'll tell you another story, if you don't mind. I know I'm talking a lot. You know, not to the point. I thought we were going to have a dialogue. but well, I can... yeah, We're up for the dialogue, but you, you got to let us join in every once in a while. <laughs> so keep going. You got some great storytelling now. So keep going. <laughs> no, the reason why I'm actually going this month is because the two of you so seem like are very much in the same place in the way to think about some of these things. So. But I, let me finish the story, and I promise you, I will not say a word for at least another thirty seconds after that. Hold me to that. So I, I live in Chicago. My my one of my favorite airlines is my hometown airline, which is United, and they've got a wonderful tagline for a long time saying "Fly the friendly skies," right? And so it's all good. Fly the friendly skies. We've gone through COVID. I traveled all through COVID because I I had COVID before it was fashionable, and you know, and a lot of things like sanitization. They're promising all the sanitization, and even today. People like me travel a lot. Oh, very careful, right? Because there's just a lot. No, don't want to get sick again. And at my age, blah, blah, blah. They're going, hey, the flight's going to be delayed by 15 minutes because we're sanitizing everything, making sure everything's cleaned up and ready to go. I walk in. I'm in 3E as a seat. I walk in. I turn to go to my seat. The first thing I see right by 1B is a toothpick, okay? And then I go to my 3, put my bag up, and I look down, and behind 2B is a facial tissue crumpled roll lying up. Not good. Okay. Exactly. I went from feeling friendly to feeling very unsafe. Put my mask on. Got, I'm like, okay. And I said, I'm not having any car. I'm not touching anything on this plane because you guys said you sanitized, clean this. Doesn't look like it to me. Think about that. They definitely got me to New York on top, not a tight 10 minutes late, but that's okay. That's with the price of entry. Everything was fine. The purser was very polite, very friendly. When I mentioned this to her, she was highly apologetic, but she didn't go and pick those things up. Oh, exactly. That which is why I talked about the story of don't apologize, just do something about it. And people appreciate that, right? So again, it's the small things that people miss on. It's not coming to a meeting on time. We're not honoring a commitment. So 
There we go. I appreciate that. Do something about it. The fact that she was apologizing. And then it just seems now I really can't trust you because you're not following through on your... Well, and, and also, I could imagine you were already told the reason you were running late was because the cleanup was happening. <laughs> and so then to go in and see that the cleanup wasn't happening is just another... Yeah. You're doing a real good job on that 30 seconds, Zane. I appreciate it. <laughs> he's, he's really keeping his mouth closed there. <laughs> And even coming back to the four things in the meeting on time, what everyone will leave with and have each person think what they're going to leave, what they want to leave with. And then at the end, what did I leave with? You're really putting the responsibility back on the person who's attending the meeting to say, this is what I want and this is what I got. And even you could say, and if you didn't get that, what could you have done differently to make sure you got that? So I think you're out of 30 second purgatory now. (laughs) But I do think, I also think that the the whole idea that companies, especially, I think this is also a premise of what you're saying, as they get larger, it becomes so easy to lose the focus, whether they lose their focus in terms of their the people who are their partners in doing the work or their employees or their customers themselves. It just becomes more of a transactional experience. And as soon as something is transactional, I'm a marriage therapist by background. So, you know, people always think it's the big things that ruin a marriage. Totally not. It's all the little things that never got said, never got dealt with, never got honored. Same thing in business. So really that is such a big factor. And in business, it becomes very transactional. And then there's nothing that, you know, those things never get cleaned up. And when, story. when it's actional, I don't feel like you care as care about me as a person. Yeah. And so then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to care about you. And that's where the relationships break down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so if I may pause it, I think there's another thing that happens as businesses get bigger. So yes, transactional, because now it all becomes about outcomes of numbers, right? But the behaviors shift for the largest group of people and they become operational, right? So they get into this business of the business, right? It's, I am not just a cog who's trying to run a machine, right? And what happens is that is where it becomes a disaster. I'll give you another story. But just to bring that point, uh, one of the companies that we helped uh, a couple of years ago is one of the as a top 20 company, right? And they were struggling with growth after having had some tremendous amount of growth. And they were struggling and trying to figure out what was They'd gone through a, a number of processes to fix it. But then they brought it. I read an article. Uh, the number two person of the company read it and asked if I'd be able to go and talk to them about this. And and so as a pre-work on that, they introduced me to the person who headed up all of the insights and analytics of that company. 300 people in that department, right? Wow. 300 people in the department. And I sat down with, it, with this gentleman and his team. And my first question was, tell me about your customer. Because my belief, every business, at the end of this one human being at that end, that is the reason why you exist. Because it's solving a specific problem. And the answer I got was they're 25 to 65 with a household income of $60,000. They have two and a half kids. At which point in time I said, excuse me, what's a half kid? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the answer, we've got big families. Right? We've got a lot of kids, but we don't have any half kids. Can you, what's a half kid? And it was, I, it, I thought I was being funny, but obviously my sense of humor doesn't work for almost anybody. So it didn't work there either. They were like a little confused. But long story short, the point was they had no understanding of who the customer was as a human being. And so we landed up actually spending time 
doing ethnographies, right, with social sciences. If you've been a counselor and you guys, you get social science, you get behavioral sciences. And I actually ended up spending three days with the family of their core customer at their house, literally going everywhere with them. It was like so uncomfortable for them <laughs> for the first seven, eight hours. But then I think they got used to it because, and, and good news is I learned how to cook a few years ago and I enjoy it. So I was able to make some good Indian food for a Hispanic family and they loved it because I think the taste were good. But long story short, what happened was when we understood what it was that was going on, right? What this, this family that used to be a, the 100% customer of this business had stopped spending money with the business because the business had completely misunderstood them anymore. Right, because they wanted to pivot to becoming bigger, and so they started chasing all of the new growth. And the new growth is demographically: who are we going to market to? What are we going to spend money on? What kind of other things do we do? And they completely lost touch with the people who brought them to the party. And as we all know, data clearly says it's seven times more expensive to bring a new customer in than to just retain the existing one. But right. the fact that these people had no understanding. So one of the things we tend to do with our clients is we actually bring the customer to life. We have those customers show up regularly, right? We make sure and we talk about we're serving Zane. So I think the point you're making, it is a small thing, but the small things you only understand how important they are if you actually know them. Yeah, they're relational things. It's much easier to look at the smarts, the numbers, and assume that you're taking care of your client. But it's those relational pieces that if you don't pay attention to that, you lose your client. And so you need to be specific yeah. on what those pieces are, not generalize, because then you're not meeting anybody's needs. Yeah. yeah. So what would you like to leave our listeners with as we wrap up this podcast? I think I would ask uh, your listeners to basically think about two things, right? One is this world only goes around because of people who do the right things and people who create communities and people. So think about whatever you do, what business you're in, what community you're in. Think about start looking at every human being as a unique person that has value that they can create. And then two, be very clear about your expectation of them yeah. and be also very clear about establishing what expectation they should have of you. And if you do that, you will never, ever have a problem of not delivering. I think it's I, we tend to assume our expectations. So to be explicit and say, hey, this is the rhythm that we meet or this is how, whatever it is in the relationship to actually be explicit about that is so important and to share. And this is what I can do. I can agree to. That's great. So how can people learn more about you and connect to you, Zane? I think there are uh, two ways, right? One is they can go to zaneraj.com. And then if they want to, they can just ping me a note through that. They can also reach me on LinkedIn, right? I'm on LinkedIn and out there and they can just ping me a messenger, a note from there. Or they can also go to Amazon and go pick up a copy of the book and read it and then write a review. And if they write a review and they ping me and say, I've written a review and look to catch up with you, I'm more than happy to respond. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you for being yes. on our show. <laughs> thank you both. This was fascinating. And I managed to keep my mouth shut for 64 seconds. <laughs> you timed yourself. I believe it. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. If you want to take some of what you've learned on today's episode to the next level, check out our new step-by-step, easy-to-use team kit to get your team from avoiding conflict to discovering the beauty in conflict. 
go to www.thriveinc.com forward slash team kit to learn more. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash T-E-A-M-K-I-T.